You know, there's an entire sector of the economy run by brilliant people who are working diligently to get inside your head and, and, and harvest your attention. Does that kind of creep you out? Because it does me. They're called the attention merchants, and their business model consists of attracting our attention and then reselling it for profit. They are ad-based TV channels, clickbait producers, and big social media companies. Law professor Tim Wu is the author of The Attention Merchants, The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads. It's a book that was featured a few years ago on one of my favorite podcasts, To the Best of Our Knowledge. The title of the podcast was Your Attention, Please. What gets your attention? When I was a kid, voices that I heard often included the Sears catalog, especially this time of year. I remember paging through it to see the things that I wished for. Any televised sport got my attention. Now it's things like, take the quiz. Do you really prefer eating or sleeping? Hmm. Or 15 things you should eat instead of Thanksgiving dinner. Or here's one, 11 of the most annoying would-you-rather questions ever. Want to click on that one? Did that one grab your attention? This week is the first week of a new church year. The season of Advent is begun, obviously. We just lit the Advent wreath. The church takes four weeks to prepare ourselves for the 12-day festival we call Christmas. Much like we use the, the 40 days of Lent to prepare ourselves for the good news of Easter, we use these four weeks of Advent to name our need for the coming of the Lord. We can forget how much we need God to break into our broken world and provide wisdom and healing and wholeness, hope, peace, and resurrection. Advent is a time to refocus on what is central what we truly long for, what we really need. But it's hard to focus. Could you pass a 1954 home economics class? Put your knowledge of the domestic arts to the test. That clickbait was trending up, by the way. Everybody else is taking the little test. So drop what you're doing or drop what you're trying to do. It's a fun little quiz that'll, you know, just take a few minutes. It's never been so hard to focus. Texts, calls, voicemails, emails, ads, there's always a game on, a conversation thread to attend to, a calendar to update, a crisis, a tragedy, a fear, a worry, a diagnosis, an upcoming test, a recent death, errands to run, gifts to buy, thank yous to write. Focus. And then you see this. We can guess your age based on your Thanksgiving food tastes. Really? Is that true? I, I better find out. How old am I? Into the lion's den we have been thrown. A den of divided attention where our hearts and minds and souls are swimming around in a sea of nothing much. 
if we are indeed striving to be faithful at all times and in all places, how can we thrive amid so much noise? How can we refocus on what is central with all these lions' mouths growling at us? I guess they roar, right? 18 hilarious picture tweets about kids guaranteed to make you laugh. Oh, I can't resist. Most of us probably can't name another story from the book of Daniel other than the one I just read, and that's okay. There's some weird stuff going on in the book of Daniel, but you need to know a little background. The book is written in an effort to combat the powers of empire because that's where the Israelites find themselves. Jerusalem has been destroyed and the Israelites are exiled away from home. They are now subjects to this Gentile king. At this time, it's King Darius. And the powers that are talk Darius into signing an order that's going to trap Daniel in his faith. Whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. And, of course, Darius signs it. And, of course, although Daniel knew full well that the document had been signed and completely aware of the consequences, Daniel still gets down on his knees three times a day, apparently in front of a window, and prays to his God. He does not pray to King Darius. And, of course, the conspirators, as the author calls them, They catch him red-handed, or I guess red-kneed in this case, and they hand him over to the king who's compelled, of course, to keep his law. And so he throws Daniel into the den as though he couldn't possibly do anything else. It's a classic piece of resistance literature. This is civil disobedience in its most pure form. The head of state makes a rule that goes completely against Daniel's core belief. A choice is put to Daniel Now, the author doesn't dwell too long on the decision process Daniel goes through, but if it were me, there would have been a moment of pause. Keep praying to the living God and face the lion's den. Hmm. But the edict comes after every other thing that makes Daniel a child of God has been taken away. Daniel and his people no longer get to read the Torah. The Sabbath is no longer kept in this foreign land. The covenant between God and his people doesn't exist here. The only thread that ties Daniel to his God is this regular, three times a day, act of prayer. Intimate conversation where Daniel admits his innermost failings, gives thanks for his greatest joys. Prayer is Daniel's lifeline, his primary act of resistance in the the face of this new law. Daniel would physically turn his body toward Jerusalem. It was his way of proclaiming an orientation of his life toward God. He'd come upon that moment when circumstances forced him to answer the question, what is worth your worship? What is worth your loyalty, your allegiance, your trust? Daniel turns his back on the powers and dangers of this world. He instead chooses to face his God, fall on his knees, and pray. And for that, into the lion's den he goes. The king feels bad about it, apparently, but the king still does it. May your God deliver you, he says, as a stone is rolled over the entrance to the den. When the king returns the next morning, Daniel, of course, is fine. He says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they wouldn't hurt me. 
And Darius makes a decree then and there that the God of Daniel is to be worshipped, for that God is the living God. Wow, quite a, quite a transformation. Daniel found himself in a marketplace, you could say, of competing attention merchants. The king wanted to force Daniel to give him his greatest attention by worshiping him, Darius. Now, our marketplace is much bigger than Daniel's. The attention merchants who are competing to be at the center of our lives are much more numerous than they've ever been before. Some are the same as they always have been. Spouse, family, we feel tempted to put them at the center of our lives instead of God. The pursuit of money, body image, status, these attention merchants are also nothing new, really. But one of the primary strategies God gives humans to combat these merchants is, as Daniel shows, prayer. We focus on God when we pray. In former generations, Christians would pray as they read Scripture, and then they'd journal about it. Or they'd pray with their spouse or with their close friends and then process those prayers together. They'd pray as they woke up and right before they went to sleep. Or devotions would be read and then contemplated together. In a world of overstimulation, prayer was a deep breath. When the brightly lit, caffeinated, loud buzz of life can fade away and the voice of God can break through. Through threats of a lion's den into Daniel's life. Through threats of the Gestapo executing you into Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, for example. Through threats of lynching into Martin Luther King's life. Prayers always helped Christians refocus on what's really central. But it's never been harder to pray. I joke that I have a magic trick in hospitals, not that I've been to a hospital for some months now, but I do, I still think, have the power to make a phone ring. Just let me start to pray. Or as you enter into prayer and your brain actually starts to release those chemicals in ways that they've studied and found are unique to humans praying, and right as you try, as you get into that mode, you hear a text came in or whatever, some kind of notification. Those other attention merchants have never been so effective. Have I kept your attention for these 10 minutes? Or maybe you've been wondering about those would-you-rather questions <laughs> or that home ec test from the 50s or maybe you've been thinking about, do I prefer eating or sleeping? Which is that? On this first week of Advent, which of course comes just after Black Friday and Cyber Monday, as we Christians who value our relationship with God enough to bring ourselves to worship by choice, I mean, here you are on a Wednesday evening, as we try to sort through the shopping lists and all the merchants, the attention merchants, I encourage you to consider what has your full attention. Who is at the center of your life? I am suggesting, of course, that like Daniel and all heroes of faith, it should be God. If you can agree with me on that one, Begin your preparations for Christmas by making some kind of considered effort to at least sometimes ignore Facebook. Maybe next time you want to check Instagram, take 10 minutes to pray and breathe instead, knowing that when we do, the lions keep their mouths shut. All that matters 
is well. The angel of the Lord is with us. And above all our other perceived wants, we will remember what we truly long for, who we truly long for. That's why we sing, Come, O come, Emmanuel. That's who we long for. Amen.